It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions, he's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Well, what a wild week if you have been paying attention to the news. You know, we're down here on the south side of Atlanta and all heck broke loose. You know, I've even heard people making analogies that it looked like the Walking Dead TV show with all the cars that were just been abandoned on the interstate. We, um, if you don't know, down here in the south, whenever we see snow, we freak out. Things get a little bit crazy. It it really is. The apocalypse comes whenever snow shows up here in the south. We're just not prepared for it. It's not that we're all bumbling idiots. It's just that um, our government and does not have the the ability to to kind of prepare the roads and and make it where it's completely safe like a lot of other areas that listen to the show. If you if you're just now tuning in, this is the Money Guy show. Go check us out money-guy.com. Um if you want to, if you want to stay connected with us, go check out if you go to the Money Guy website, you can sign up for Twitter, Facebook. We're all connected out there on those um, social media sites, and then you can also either sign up for a free membership, which gives you access to a few additional shows, or you can sign up for a premium membership, which gets you all the access to all of our archives all the way back to 2006 when we started doing this show. So because it's been a crazy week, we haven't been at the office that many days this week. I mean, we shut down. What day did the storm come? Tuesday? I think it was Tuesday when it started. Yeah, same day that we had the huge storm back in 82 as well, and Some of the people in the room weren't born in 82, but I actually was in school back in 82, and I can remember when that great storm came through, and this one was just as tragic. I mean, we had um, complete gridlock on things, but we're all here. Wasn't that one a lot more snow, though? Yeah. I mean, we were frozen the entire weekend. Yeah, that was actual snowfall, right? Yeah, it was a lot of snow. But um, you don't consider what we had snowfall? I mean, we had like two to three inches. But Gabe, you're... um, your girlfriend took, what, eight hours to get home? Six and a half. And you took how long to get that home? That was six and a half. Six and a half yeah. hours. Yeah. Yeah. Took, took you two hours to get home. Okay. And he lives about 40, 35, 45 minutes away. So two hours to get there. Pretty, pretty insane stuff. So in light of the fact that it's been kind of a crazy week, I wanted to go ahead and do a show. We wanted to make sure we got the content out to you guys because I like being consistent. We tell you we're going to do a show every two weeks. We're better than the post office because we actually do deliver – Every two weeks, like we tell you, we are. So what we're going to be talking about today is I found an article. I actually tweeted this article um, probably a week ago. Um, it was from the tax girl, Miss Kelly Phillips Herb, and she's got the 11 questions to ask when hiring a tax preparer. And I pulled this actually from Forbes, um, but I know that Kelly has her own social media stuff that you can feel free to go check out. She's actually got a pretty good sense of humor because I liked her, her little um, subline there. said, I cover tax. Paying tax is painful, but reading about it shouldn't be. I completely agree with you, Kelly. I'm kind of a, a numbers nerd, too, that has a sense of humor, um, at least if you're nerdy enough to get my sense of humor. But uh, moving on, here's the first one. Do you have a PTIN? This is important. It wasn't so important a few years ago, but now it's super important because the IRS... And it, these are questions to ask your preparer. Your tax right? preparer. And I'm going to throw in my own little antidotes in there because I do have close to two decades of tax preparation experience. I don't prepare tax returns anymore. I sold my tax business um, a, a few years back, but um, I've done it long enough that I can give you kind of the inside scoop and, and kind of add some additional layers that Kelly um, might not have been able to just go that deep in her article when she did it. But the first one was, do you have a PTI, PTIN? 
That's a, that's a prepare identification number is what that is. And the IRS requires you, in order for you to e-file or, or take payment to um, prepare taxes for fees, you're supposed to have one of these PTIN numbers. And they're really easy to get. All you have to do is kind of go on the IRS website, show that you're credentialed, you got enough education to be doing tax returns, and they will handily take your money and issue you one of these fees. It's also a revenue source for the government, but um, it is one of those things that's very important. This is what Kelly had written. It said, uh, this should be your first question. Anyone who prepares federal tax returns for compensation must have a valid 2014 PTIN number before preparing returns. Without a PTIN, why why do I have so much much trouble saying PTIN? I don't know. I have no idea. It's being out of work for three days. You know how you go is. on summer vacation or winter vacation and your kids forget how to read and stuff and do math? Well, I, think, I, I can't read anymore. Well, I think it was too much Jeep time. If you follow the Twitter <laughs> and the Facebook, you saw Brian's Jeep time. I think that's you're still out in the woods on the ice and the snow. That's where this deep cold and the cold medication I'm taking from uh, taking as well is coming from. Maybe that's what it is, cold medication slowing things down. The preparer is not allowed to prepare your return. This isn't something you want to find out in the end. And it, She'll get into it in a minute, but this is why you also want to probably go to a reputable place that actually has a permanent location is because you want to be able to track these people down later. But that, the first one is asking if they do have that prepare identification number. Number two, which... I have a question real quick. Yep. So if Uncle Steve, you know, he's really good with numbers, really good with math, <laughs> and he does your taxes, yes. but he doesn't, he doesn't, you don't pay him, he just helps you out with this... Nothing to be worried about if he doesn't have a PTIN, right? Right, Uncle Steve no, no. Can still do your taxes. If you are paying somebody to prepare your tax return, they're supposed to be signing your tax return. Okay. If you have a family member who's just really good mathematically and likes reading tax forms, believe me, there are weirdos out there that do like to do tax returns. I run into them from time to time. Even some of our clients are probably listening going, wait a minute. I'm not a weirdo. I like <laughs> writing my taxes by hand. No, you're a weirdo if you do that. But, um... You you can have a friend help you out. I remember my father growing up used to go visit his brother, Uncle Joe, who was um, really good with numbers. Maybe that's where I got it from. But um, anyway, him and Uncle Joe used to sit down and prepare the tax return. And Uncle Joe never signed our tax return because he was doing it for free or gotcha. maybe a six-pack of beer or something. I don't know. But um, you do not have to sign if you're not taking fees. Perfect. Um, that's why I have family members I've helped out with and – Sometimes, you know, I, I sign, sometimes I don't when I'm doing them for free. Right. Um, but th- th- good question, Bo. Number two, what is your tax background? Kelly had listed on here a slew of letters following a name on a business card doesn't necessarily mean more qualified. Ask the people what those letters mean. And then she, uh, what I liked on this article is she actually had a quick guide. I was really surprised this first one that she listed was on there. It was a certified financial planner, CFP. Bo, you have that. I have that. That's something mm-hmm. typically known for people who do financial planning. Um, I guess the reason it's on here, because we'll get into it in a minute, is everybody who I've picked off from the University of Georgia as an employee here has volunteered to prepare taxes. And we're, we'll get into that, that in a minute through VITA. I think I'm That's right, that right. Volunteer Income Tax Assistance. Yeah, so we'll get into that in the article in a minute. But um, So I guess there are CFPs out there preparing tax returns. It says a certified financial planner is a designation for financial planners Given by the Certified Financial Planner Board of Standards, the CFP must meet certain education requirements, pass an exam, have experience in the field, pass fitness standards, and pay – I like that, fitness standards. Maybe That makes me think that they're out there doing CrossFit or something. <laughs> and pay a certification fee. The coursework and exam do have tax and tax planning components as determined by the board. 
Um, what she's basically getting to is that a CFP probably does come across taxes, have to ha- has to have some general understanding of taxes, but does not necessarily mean that a CFP is an expert at doing taxes. It's just something that they are involved with in their day-to-day work cycle. Um, another one she listed on here, here's the one that Bo and I always debate on, is the best credential you can possibly have as a certified public accountant. The CPA is a certified by the state to act as a public accountant. As we all know, I will concede the CPA is by far the absolute best credential out there for doing taxes. No doubt about it. If you if you notice the edge on his voice is because I have the CPA. I'm the only one in the room with the CPA, so I think Bo has a little edge about that. But a CPA is the only licensed qualification in accounting. To be certified candidates are required to pass an exam. It's an exam that I think is getting a little easier because they used to make you pass it pretty much all at once, but that's just me being an old getting to be crotchety old man who doesn't like when they make things easier. Most states also require an ethics exam of cor- or course as well as continuing education credits. A CPA may specialize in tax, but not necessarily. There's a wide range of CPA services, including accounting, auditing, financial planning, technology consulting, and vis- business valuation. So, But CPAs are – that's the, one of the easiest ways to um, – you can pretty much you're, – you're allowed to do everything with the IRS. You can go represent and audits – um, you can prepare tax returns, you know, because it is the the credential most recognized for tax preparation. Now, I will tell you, Kelly, who wrote the article, she's actually a JD, and we'll get into it in a minute. There are attorneys that are very, very skilled in taxes as well, but we'll we'll talk to you about that in a minute. But um, she goes on and she she lists the next credential is the EA, and that's not Electronic Arts. If you <laughs> like Madden football, because it is Super Bowl season here, but. Um, enrolled agent is what EA represents, and they have earned the privilege of representing taxpayers before the Internal Revenue Sur- Service by either passing a three-part comprehensive IRS test or through experience as a former IRS employee. EA status is the highest credential the IRS awards. EAs must adhere to ethical standards and complete 72 hours of continuing education courses every three years. So um, you, you see those you see that behind people's names too the EA and here's the one that Kelly actually has it's a, a, a JD is a law degree, but then Kelly's also blessed to have an LLM which means it's a master's in law and it could be in, in, in I think hers is in taxation but it could be in taxation but other areas of the law also offer an LLM LLM as with a CPA candidates are required to pass an exam an ethics exam or course and take continuing education credits. Having a law degree or two doesn't necessarily mean that an attorney prepares returns. Um, I, you know, you see attorneys that do all kind of things, and I think where Kelly goes on from here is she explains, make sure you, if you, you find an attorney, make sure they have the LLM or some specialty in taxes, meaning they're actually touching and dealing with taxes. You don't want somebody who does it all. You don't want somebody who's advertising to be a DUI attorney also advertising that they're going to do your divorce, uncontested divorces for four or $500 and then also tell you they're going to help you out in front of the IRS. Probably not going to be a great fit. You want to find somebody who really does have a specialty in dealing with um, tax situations. Uh, the, the last one that she had on here on getting into the credentials was a volunteer income tax assistance. That's VITA, as I'd already talked about. These are volunteers that are trained by the IRS to prepare basic returns. 
So I thought that was interesting because you guys are all, Bo, do you have any any thoughts on Vida? Yeah, so what was pretty cool is, you know, we did it in the Athens-Clark County community. And essentially, you come up, bring all your stuff, and we'd help you file your taxes right there. Now, there were some things we couldn't do. Um, I, we, we, I think we had to do the, the short, for, short form. I don't think we could do uh, a ton of more complex filings. So you could do the EZs and the As? Yep, that's exactly right. Mm-hmm. I don't think we could do any Schedule C returns. Um, so, you know, kind of limited to what we were able to do while we were in school. But the ones that we could do, we knew them back and forth, front and back. And it's pretty cool, uh, pretty cool service. And it's free, which is awesome. So if you have a pretty simple return, bring it in, you know, find a local Vita, Vita place and, uh, and get it done for free. Hmm. That's good. It's probably when you start. I mean, when I first started in the beginning, I mean, you're, most people are very simple. When you first start working, you might just have a W-2. Right. But then as life gets complicated, you're going to probably need somebody. If you're not, now I say that, I've always said it once you get, you know, Schedule C, a Schedule E, because you got some rental property and some businesses that have some pass-through income coming to where you get in a K-1. I always tell people to get a, a, an accountant, a good CPA, and I still stand by that. But I will tell you, my podcast listeners, some of you guys had have become clients, and I've given that advice to you. And then I, I, I get you to go hire a CPA and then find out that you're still self-preparing your tax return and you're just laying it side by side with what the CPA is doing. I've figured out that a lot of you guys actually are quasi-CPAs yourself just because you're so analytical and good with it. So I, I, I hesitate. If you're one of these super analytical people, you might be only happy if you're kind of looking under the hood and, and doing it yourself. I would just say make sure you have a relationship with somebody who can look over your shoulder just to make sure you're, you're not missing anything or letting it slip through the cracks. Let's get on back with um, Kelly's checklist here. We're up to number three. Have you prepared a tax return before? I think that's a great question to ask. Um, I think it's interesting. I'm willing to tell you my warts. When I, um, it was funny when I was taking tax eight, my first tax taxation class in in college. I had never prepared my own tax return. My dad was taking my W twos from when I worked at Hardee's as the crew leader at the drive through over to my uncle Joe as well. You know, so he was filing this. So when we got to the taxation class. And, and I'm going to go ahead and confess while we're being confessional. I only became a CPA because I wanted to have a job when I graduated, and I didn't want to live back with my parents. I was originally a finance major, and um, but the finance class was so easy at the University of Georgia. I was like, wait a minute. If I can make a 95 on a test in college, I'm not going to have a job when I graduate because <laughs> if they're giving them out this easy, God help me. So I, I jumped over to accounting because nobody liked accounting in college. But everybody who graduated with an accounting degree had a job. Right. So this was my one-way ticket to make sure I wasn't going to end up in the basement at the house. So I did it, and I kind of didn't like my classes. But I will tell you, in practice, accounting is cool. Oh, that's spoken like a true accountant. No, I'm telling you, no. In, in, in practice, accounting is fun. The coursework was miserable. And I, I, I shouldn't say it wasn't all miserable. I actually enjoyed a lot number of the classes. But I'm telling this for any of my students who are listening and go, I get trudged down, you know, trudging, trudged down into everything so much. It's, it doesn't have to be that way. I'm telling you, when we get out there, it, like I did so many unique things when I was working in public accounting. I, I got to figure out how cat litter was made. Um, which is more more interesting than you realize. I figured out how plastic was made and manufactured. Really cool stuff. Um, I remember calling my wife one time. We were doing working for this laboratory, and they had made you know it was a place where they bottled, they mixed and bottled all the Clinique and all these other you know higher end type lady cosmetics. And I was telling my wife I was taking an inventory, and I had one of those like fifty gallon barrels of her facial stuff right there in front of me. Something that I pay. 
you know, probably 30 bucks for an ounce. I had a 50-gallon drum in front of me, and I was trying to figure out how I could get it home for her. But um, I, I digress. But it, it is one of those things. I tell people, just so if you're in school, you kind of know there is light at the end of the tunnel. You know, now some, like, because when I was reading Kelly's bio, she says when she took her first tax class, she loved it. But um, not everybody is like that. But it's one of those things where the question was, have you ever prepared a tax return? I tell you this because when we got to the tax class, I noticed all my friends whose parents were also CPAs, they had no trouble doing their mock tax return because they had their parents' software from work. They went and did it. Brian, who had never even looked at a 1040 before, I was a little scratch. I had to scratch my head. And, you know, the way I made it through it was I I baked a bunch of cookies, invited some of those people over who had parents that worked for the firms and um, was able to work it out as a group project. But um, very interesting because I do think experience is very powerful because you would not have wanted to hire me in that first year after graduation. It was after I had done tax returns for maybe year two, year three, I became an expert, but it is one of those, maybe it's that whole 10,000 hours of um, experience that you hear about from Malcolm Gladwell. Yep. But it, I think this is a great question to ask because you do want to know how much experience your tax preparer has because you want to make sure you're not the first return they're looking at that has ever come across this issue. If you're the first Schedule C they've ever worked at, the first Schedule E, the first K-1 from a partnership or an S-Corp, you don't want that to be your tax preparer. Um, so I'll read what Kelly written. She said, remember when I said that there's no one size fits all in the business? That's because tax returns are not all the same. Some tax preparers can do forms 1040 easy in their sleep. Others are fluent in Schedule C, which is businesses, or Schedule E, which are rentals. And Schedule E also can be your pass-throughs from the, the small businesses. I'm adding that part. Some may focus on pass-through entities. That's the same thing as the Schedule E. The tax-exempt organizations or fiduciary returns. Tax preparers may focus on international taxpayers or small businesses. There are as many vari- variations as there are schedules and forms. It's not uncommon for tax preparers, especially those that have been around for a while, to have a pretty wide scope of knowledge. But nobody can do it all, and don't trust anyone who tells you otherwise. And I completely agree with what Kelly's saying. It's just, I mean, I had a lot of experience working with small business owners. So the Schedule C's, the Schedule E's, that stuff was very easy. And I could I could recite all that stuff backwards and forwards. But every now and then I have somebody approach me who maybe had international income. You know, they lived internationally for, for a year or two working for a big multinational corporation. That stuff gets a little trickier. You probably want to see somebody who's got experience doing that type of stuff. I remember everybody, who th- when they find out you're a CPA, they want you to be on their charitable boards because they're looking for somebody to prepare their tax returns or help them get 501 status. Right. Um, I will tell you that just because you're a CPA doesn't mean you have experience in that. Now, if I have experience in that stuff now because I've worked my way through it, but not everybody has experience. And that's why I tell you, be careful just because you see somebody's a, a CPA and you think they're an expert at all things. That's not true. And you also need to be very aware of the prices. Like I tell people, it might be possible to get something cheaper from a guy who has special who's specialized in maybe, say, international clients who charges $300 an hour then getting the return prepared by somebody who's a generalist who charges you $150 an hour. And you're like, well, how's that possible? How could a person who's charging me $300 an hour be cheaper than the guy who's taking $150 an hour? Well, the reason is, is the guy who's charging $300, he does these things maybe in his sleep. He's done so many of these international returns. He can pop it in, pop it out, and get the data out for you and, and get you a return. The guy who's never done it, who's a generalist, it might take them three hours just to read the instructions. 
So be careful on letting that price just the, the cost per hour drive you. If they're, now, if they're charging you a high per hour fee, you're kind of going to be very efficient in what they do. They better be experts and not looking up a lot of reference research on yours because um, that's what you're paying them the extra hourly rate for is, is their efficiency of being an expert in that subject matter. So that, that's very important. I thought number four, do you know the requirements of the states and localities where I'm required to file? So important. I, I remember when I graduated, being very, I'm disclosing a lot today. Um, I helped out a lot of my college buddies. I remember one of my buddies um, was working in New York for an ad agency, but he was living in Hoboken, New Jersey. And he rented out a, a, an apartment or something, and I helped him out doing his taxes, probably charging 50 bucks or something. And I remember him calling me up and say, hey, um, I had um, a local person here tell me that there's uh, some some tax incentives for people in New Jersey who are renting or brand new People are renting or buying in the area, and I was like, well, I know nothing about that. I mean, we do primarily southeast tax returns. I don't know what's going on in New Jersey. So it, it opened my eyes up that every state is unique. And I will tell you, like right now, here in the state of Georgia, here's some unique things in the state of Georgia. We have movie tax credits. It is not uncommon for people who have lots of taxes that they have to pay to the state of Georgia that they will buy movie tax credits somewhere between $0.85 cents to $0.90 cents on the dollar and these are because they're making movies here in Georgia, and then they'll get a, you know, they'll use those to pay your taxes. Those are some some unique things. There's these gold scholarships. We have these scholarship programs now in the state of Georgia, where you can contribute to private schools, K through 12 private schools, and then actually get a tax credit on your Georgia return. I don't know if somebody who maybe if you have income in the state of Georgia, you have to file a Georgia return. Um, you might not know that if, you, if you're not working with somebody who's a specialist in that state. Um, Georgia 529 contributions, a lot of 529 programs throughout the country have tax incentives built into them. So make sure whoever prepares your returns is very familiar with your state and local requirements because that is very important. Number five, what records and other documentation will you need from me? This is a big one. I'm always amazed when I'm watching car advertisements down here in the South, and I'm assuming it's like this everywhere in the country, where people, a lot of these car dealerships are offering essentially free tax preparation. And I think the reason is, is they're counting on you to, to take your tax, get your tax you know, return done at their dealership or through some affiliate and use that refund, but it'd be a down payment on a new car. Right. That's, that's scary as I'll get out. I don't, that doesn't even make sense to me. But it get, getting back to the, the documentation, you know, I think, and we'll first read what Kelly says, and then I'll tell you my thoughts on it. Why you shouldn't be expected to haul in the contents of your entire home office. A reputable tax preparer should insist that you provide your forms W-2, 1099s, 1098s, and other verification of income and expenses in order to prepare a proper return. You shouldn't use a preparer willing to e-file your return just by using a pay stub. That's against the IRS rules. A tax preparer should be able to explain what will be needed for special schedules, forms, or circumstances. One of the first things I was surprised that Kelly didn't reference it on here, if you're hiring somebody, they want to see your prior year tax return. They want to kind of see, first, there's two reasons that, that that's helpful. It's also it's going to show them how you've done things in the past. It also gives them a chance to kind of look back, see if there's some additional savings they might be able to get you, but there's also a lot of stuff that rolls forward. A lot of stuff. You know, you got basis and um, businesses. You've got taxability of refunds in, in states if you took the tax deduction. There's all kind of flow through stuff that carries over. Maybe you have a long term capital gain 
a capital loss, I should say, that you need to roll over as well. A lot of those things, you're going to need to see the prior year tax return um, before you can do a tax return properly. I, I will tell you, I have a family member who is getting got a notice. You know, they were telling me about over the Christmas holiday break, and they were saying, you know, should I pay? Because the IRS came back to them and said they owed all these taxes. And it's because they didn't file the income off of a state tax refund that they had taken a deduction off of. And I said, well, I said, you definitely owe the taxes. I said, you might want to talk to the preparer about the interest and penalties, because if you gave them a copy of the prior year's tax return and they didn't put that on there, that would be a little concerning. I would I would make a case that maybe the preparer has some some fault in this as well. You never, and by the way, when a preparer makes a mistake, they don't cover the taxes. I just want to go ahead and let you know, when somebody guarantees their work, they're not going to cover your tax liability. You owe that no matter what. But sometimes, I know when I was doing taxes, if somebody, if I screwed up and everybody who does taxes makes mistakes, the stuff is too tedious not to make mistakes, I always covered the interest as well as the penalties if I couldn't get the IRS to abate the penalties. Um, that, and that's the thing. Interest and penalties can be usually are covered by the preparer the tax liability is never going to be covered. I just don't want to give you, because when you see these guarantees, I don't want you thinking, having an expectation that's just not realistic. Um, Remember, your preparer is also supposed to legally minimize taxes. Bo, you had a saying that you said you you learned in college. Yeah, tax avoidance is highly encouraged. Tax evasion is illegal. Um, But here's the other thing I think people don't realize when you're hiring a tax preparer. Sometimes these guys, and Gabe, you had experience with one of the big box tax preparation companies, you know, where you, you show up with stuff. And I probably should have told, before I did this because you don't have a microphone in front of you. But did y'all, did you have, when you worked for this very well known tax preparation company, did you only prepare what you had in front of you or did y'all ask a lot of questions too? Let me ask you kind of a background question. Yeah. Because that's, that's the important thing. I think whether you're using a, like a, you know, one of these shopping center, tax preparers or whether you're hiring a CPA is that you want somebody who's going to ask you a bunch of questions about your specific situation. Cause a lot of times you're not a specialist in this. So you're probably not going to bring everything you need. I, I can tell you, I've reviewed a bunch of tax returns for clients and it's not uncommon that I'll, I'll come across, you know, deductions that, that are very good, very easy to, to take, you know, say both parents work. Let me, let me find my sheet. Like the child tax credits, the child and dependent care credit, if you, I mean, if both spouses are working and you're not taking that child and dependent care credit, um, adoption credits, if you, if they ask you, hey, did you adopt a child within the last year? Higher education credits, a lot of great credits if you've got, you know, if you're going back to school or you got a child that's going back to school, as well as student loan interest. I mean, a lot of us are carrying student loan interest for years. So that's something you gotta ask about the self-employed health insurance deduction. If you're a teacher, you know, usually there's some, inse- you know, some adjustments you can have for, for unreimbursed expenses. Uh, and there's all kind of things that you want your preparer to go that extra mile and ask you the questions and find those deductions that allow you to legally minimize those taxes. So that's why when what re- number five was what records and other documentation will be needed from you. Make, also have in the back of your mind, what is that, that accountant going to ask me for? that I might not have thought of. And I think that's so powerful. Number six, how will you deter- How do you determine your fees? I liked how Kelly put this. She says, note the wording of this one. I didn't say how much the fees would be. Rather, I said, how are the fees determined? 
She goes, prices may vary based upon the complexity of your return, whether you require additional schedules, such as dividend and interest on a Schedule B, business information on a Schedule C, capital gains and losses on a Schedule D, and or rental income and losses on Schedule E, supporting forms such as those for child tax credits or additional charitable donation information. She goes, whether your tax return has out-of-the-ordinary line items like Roth conversions or home buyer, home buyer credit repayment, Avoid preparers who base their fee on a percentage of your anticipated refund. They have a financial incentive to encourage inappropriate credits and deductions. You, you saw that the scandal a few years ago where people were claiming all kind of credits and deductions because they were you know, doing that whole thing where they were you know, basically cashing in the refund checks and doing those, credit, those, those loans based upon the amounts of the refunds. That stuff, I, I've always prepared returns by the hour. Um, you know, that way, you, I mean, you usually can give a quote to the client after just reviewing all the documentation, say, I think it's going to take me this many hours, so your fee would be this. Just be open-minded. I, I think sometimes shopping by price, believe me, I'm a self-professed tightwad. If, you, if you're getting good value, and what I always used to tell people is I usually like to think I could find enough additional deductions that I could almost pay for at least half of my fee um, by just asking the right questions of the clients. So that's the type of stuff that a good tax preparer is going to do for you. Number seven, these will go pretty quick on, the, on this last page. Can I file electronically? This should be a given pretty much these days. The IRS all but makes you file electronically these days. Matter of fact, if you don't file electronically, the IRS makes you have the client basically check a box saying, no, I didn't want my preparer to file electronically. So that's pretty much a given. We've even gotten to the point now where business returns are primarily done electronically as well. You want to do electronic. I know the people who are doing stuff by hand because it's a hobby for you. Um, I mean, we even had a client who had a, a family partnership that they had their C. I don't, I don't even know if she was a CPA, but the person preparing was doing everything by hand. Yep. I tried to explain to him the reason you also want electronic is it has less hands touching it. The mathematical problems are not going to occur. The errors that are coming from bad mathematics are usually not going to occur as much when you file electronically. Um, you're going to get your refund a lot faster too. So that's why that should be a given. As a matter of fact, that, that one is an easy one. Number eight, who will sign my return? This one kind of goes back to number one with that you know, preparer identification number. Um, she wrote, this is a biggie. Remember that your preparer must have a, a PTIN. See again, number one. The PTIN and the preparer's signature need to appear on the tax return. Don't trust a preparer who refuses to sign a return. And be wary of any preparer of service who won't tell you in advance who will actually be preparing the return. This is a biggie. Because remember, if they don't sign the return, it doesn't look like they got paid to do the tax return. Their accountability falls when, you, when they sign the return. Also, if they sign the return and you check the right box, they also can call if you get a tax notice. I, I love this. They changed this you know, a number of years back. Now your preparer can actually contact the IRS for you without signing all the power of attorneys and everything. If it's just about the specific issue on a tax return that you prepared, they can now do that by signing that tax return and checking the appropriate box. Now, if you have to get into audits and other things, there are going to be power of attorney forms that need to be signed, but it's a lot more flexibility. So you want to have know who's going to be signing that tax return to know who's accountable. Number nine, will I receive a copy of my return? It's not unreasonable to leave your preparer's office without a copy of your completed return. And I will tell you, 
I never prepared tax returns the day a client dropped the stuff off. Unless it was, I can tell you, maybe a handful of times in my life where a client would come see you on the 15th <laughs> and you would throw something together just because it was one of those situations. But um, most CPA firms, now I know a lot of the retail tax businesses, that's the ones in the shopping centers, um, like the one Gabe worked for, they will you know, take all your documentation, prepare it right there. You'll, you'll walk in. It's, it's turnkey right there on the spot. But working with CPAs, typically there's a data gathering phase. You get it in the cycle of preparing it, then you have somebody review it, and then you have the partner sign off on it. It might take a week, two weeks, three weeks to get the tax return done. Just make sure you know how long that window is before you get your tax return. Um, is it, you know, and that's why I say get it done early. You know, I used to, when I wrote my letters, my engagement letters out to clients for tax preparation, I always say, get me the stuff sooner rather than later because there's two benefits to that. If you owe money, you'll get a little additional time to figure out how you go come up with that money because if you file it, if you figure out your taxes in February, they're not due until April 15th, you got an extra two months to try to figure out, hey, where you come up with that additional 10 grand. But if you get a money coming back, if you have a refund coming back to you, if you do your taxes early, you get that money sooner. So that's why being prepared and organized and doing it early is not a bad thing. Um, number 10, how do I find you if I have a question or problem after tax season is over? Biggie. Here's the biggie one I have is because preparation is only the first part. Remember, after you file a tax return, assuming there's no fraud, the government has still three years to come back and ask you questions on that tax return. And I mean, half the reason I think you want to have a CPA is so that you have somebody there with you in case it goes bad. So here's what, here's what she written, wrote on number 10. I'm not a fan of those tax preparation shops that pop up on street corners during tax season and then go missing for half the year. Clients often receive requests from taxing authorities for additional information in October or November and can no longer locate their tax preparer. Make sure that you know how to contact the tax preparer after your return has been filed. If your tax preparer won't be around, consider taking your business elsewhere. I got to tell you guys, and this is not a knock too much on the IRS or the state taxing agencies, but I would say probably 80% of the tax letters my clients received during tax pre- after tax preparation season were usually no errors at all. It was just they were confused about an issue, wanted additional clarification, or they were confused. I can tell you there's quite a number of returns that we've, I've had to write letters on where I'd, I'd written, please accept the return as originally filed. Here's the documentation. Here's why this is the case. And then they'll write you back and go, you're right. No, our bad. You know, you don't owe the additional money that we, we calculated in our system. Just because you get a tax notice, don't freak out and think you have to sh- immediately stroke a check to the government. You, check it out. They make mistakes, a lot of mistakes. I mean, they're just not that efficient. There's a lot of data coming through their system, so it's not unreasonable to think that, hey, with a lot that much data rolling through the system, they might have some things slipping through their cracks as well. So that's why if you do pay a preparer, you get a notice, even if it's only a few hundred dollars, don't just stroke a check to the government to make it go away. Contact your preparer and just let them review it. Um, I would ask you, you know, people say, what's your responsibility on those letters when you get a when you get a notice from the IRS. Here was my policy when I was preparing tax returns. If I had if I had zero errors, meaning that there was nothing wrong with the originally filed tax return, and I I would sometimes depend on how big the client relationship was, I would write the letter of response as a courtesy to the client and, and wouldn't charge anything extra, even though 
I did nothing to deserve getting that letter from the IRS. But some clients, I would charge an hourly fee for responding to the notice. Or if the client made a mistake, it's not uncommon that we get these notices and then find out the client didn't give us some documentation or forgot about something, forgot they had this account that generated income. I wouldn't, I would write the letter in response, but I would charge my hourly fee on those responses. So that, that's the thing. But if they, if the, but if the accountant makes a mistake, they should do it all for free, I think. That's my opinion. If they made the mistake, remember you owe the taxes but they should help you out with those penalties and interest and then also help you out with the correspondence. Um, I was going to flip it around to number 10 also is that I don't know if all preparers were doing it. The, uh, the firm I worked at and then um, I did also review tax returns at a CPA firm when I was starting my financial planning firm and they did the same thing. So I'm thinking it's a policy. It's probably practiced by most reputable firms. I always copied every supporting document that was pretty much provided by the client that was relevant um, to the tax preparation because clients are not very organized. And I, and it's not uncommon to get these tax notices from the government, even if there's no mistakes. It's very easy if you have a very organized tax file with all the copies in there to, to respond to the IRS or the state taxing agency if you have a good file created by your preparer. So I would flip the script on 10 also and ask them, and maybe this is also ties into question number nine, and say, what are you going to keep in your records, you know, for the three years, you know, while we're waiting for that three-year provision for the IRS to come back and ask questions, I'd ask my preparer, are you making copies of this stuff? So that if I get a notice, you're going to have a lot of this supporting documentation yourself, that you're not going to say, hey, Brian, can you go pull all those W-2s and 1099s? Because, yes, you're supposed to keep that stuff, and I give you guys the recommendation, don't throw that stuff away for many, many years. But the truth is, you might move, you might, um, you know, clean out a closet and throw away something that you didn't mean to, or, you know, it might be an accident at your house where something gets water damaged or a fire or something else. You want to have good records of whoever's preparing your tax return. So I think that's a good question to ask. Um, number 11, what happens if I get audited? This is a great one to bring up because I think there's a lot of people that are confused about this one, and I have a personal story as well. Nobody wants to think about an audit when filing a return, but you need to ask about it now so that you don't end up in a pickle later. Find out how the tax preparer handles audits or examinations from the IRS. Will he or she respond to those questions, represent you in front of the IRS or tax court? Remember, not all tax preparers are allowed to represent clients before the IRS or in court. And what about the cost of fixing any mistakes? How is that calculated? Okay, every engagement letter that we ever wrote said, if you get audited, we will represent you because we're CPAs. I'll represent you before the IRS. I've done it. I've, I've worked on several audits, a number of audits, both for individuals and businesses. And I, But I would say this in the engagement letter, the audit is an additional fee. You know, you, I, my hours of service while I'm handling the audit for you working on your behalf is an additional fee. It's not covered in the tax preparation. I will tell you, I had clients who got audits who said, I don't want to pay that fee, so I'll go represent myself. Worst mistake they could have had. I've had grown, burly men grow a lot more facial hair than me and Bo ever were able to call me crying from the IRS office that they were at. Because here's the reason why, and I'm just going to tell you the way it is. If you, the individual, go before the IRS or the state taxing agency, they ask you a question, you have to know the answer because it's your return. 
if I go represent you and they ask me a question, because they can mushroom out an audit, meaning when I say a mu- by mushrooming out an audit, maybe they're looking at just your rental property. They don't like the rent or want to know something about a deduction you took on the rental property or the Schedule C for your small business. Mm-hmm. But then while they're in there, they decide, hey, I want to know about this mileage that you got on Schedule A as well. With me as a CPA sitting in there, I, if they ask me a, a, if a random question that is not the scope of what they had originally told me they were asking questions about, I throw up my sh- hands and go, um, I've got the answers on what the original thing you'd asked me about was on the Schedule E. I've got all the supporting documentation. Um, I might be able to get you some preliminary data on Schedule A, whatever I've got in the file here, but I'm going to have to go ask the client on some additional details if you need more clarification, but I don't, I don't have it in front of me. There, it's over. We move on to the next thing. You know, I might have to go get them some additional documentation, but it's over. When you're the, the individual and they start mushrooming out to maybe additional areas of focus or even different years, because they can go back to other years, and maybe they go from your business now to your individual, they can break you. They really can break you. And that's why I've had these big burly guys who didn't want to pay me my hourly fee call me crying because they, they went and represented themselves. And that's not, I don't even do taxes anymore. So it's not like I'm telling you this because I want to get some economic benefit out of it. I'm just saying if I get audited, I'm not representing myself. I've got plenty of CPA buddies and tax attorneys that I would have go represent me. And it doesn't mean I'm doing anything wrong. This is not, I don't want you to look at this as saying there must be something shady going on with the tax preparation if he's not willing to go represent himself. No, I'm just saying don't get yourself in a pickle of a situation where they can ask you questions that, you know, it just gets really gray. I mean, it gets really gray on what they're trying to do to you. And that's not to pick on the IRS. They're just doing their job as well. I'm just saying there's a smart way to do things that's completely legal. It's within your rights. Be smart about it. Don't represent yourself. It's the whole thing that, you know, you hear about attorneys. Well, you know, they, they, attorneys talk about it all the time. If you get somebody who's self-representing themselves in court of law, they usually have a fool for a client. I mean, and it's, it's kind of the same way with the taxing. I don't mean to be, because believe me, some of our clients are so smart. I know they're probably listening to this and going, well, I could go represent myself. Yes, you probably could. But do you want to sit across the table from the IRS where they have an open book to ask you anything and everything they want to? Um, the only things, other things I was going to throw in, because, wow, this for thrown together really quick. I told guys we're going to do a 20-minute podcast today. We're already at 40 minutes. Um, A few things I just want to throw in that y'all need to pay attention to. Make sure whenever you're reviewing your tax return that's prepared by a professional tax preparer, look at the, if you have overpayments that were applied from the previous year, make sure they're truly being applied. Maybe you had a, instead of getting a refund on your tax return, you applied that to the following year's estimated taxes. Same thing that rolls right into the discussion. If you make estimated tax payments, make sure you're doing a good job of letting your tax preparer know about those estimated tax payments, getting those dates right. Um, I'd also, if you're hiring a brand new person, maybe you listen to this podcast and I've I've made you realize, Hey, I need to go get somebody who's on my team who can represent me. Um, when you get that first year tax return, after you've given them a copy of your prior year return, make sure you look at your name, the date of birth, the occupation, and the contact information that they have on your return. Because it, the, the, the thing is, is that the way it is the first year is the way it's going to be in year 10, because they just input that basic information in their system and it just rolls and rolls and rolls. So if you don't get it right the first year, it ain't going to be right in year four, year five, year six. So make sure you're reviewing and dates of birth ties so much to so many different things nowadays. Your age really ties in, and it's not uncommon 
I, I, I think that's a must, but I know when I used to be at work at bigger firms, sometimes they'd plug in, you know, basic numbers because we didn't have that information and it was last minute. We had to get through it. That's not good enough. Make sure they got all of your information right, like your date of birth and, and that type of stuff. State tax refunds, you got to make sure. That's why one more tying back into why your preparer needs to have a copy of your prior year taxes because those things can be a, a booger bear. Pass through entities. If you've got an S corporation, you're a small business owner, you own an S corp, a, a partnership, an LLP, something, you know, make sure that you understand the basis and the flow throughs that are going through with your tax preparer. Because I, I know when I hired a, a CPA recently, a lot of my deductions weren't making it through because they had the basis screwed up on some of my companies. That stuff, it's very, very, it's minutia. They can really cost you a lot out of your back pocket if you're not paying attention to it. So just look at those basic things. Hopefully we didn't get too down into the dirt on this thing where we ran off everybody. But we got to do these. I know you, you, my data junkies love these type of um, podcasts, so we want to give it to you. Everybody stay warm. It looks like down here in the south, we've forgotten that we're the south, at least climate-wise. But hopefully things will get back to normal. And I'm just glad everybody I know is safe and sound as we made it through this crazy, crazy period. Thanks for listening to the Money Guy Show. Go check us out, money-guy.com. I'm your host, Brian Preston. Poor Bo sitting across from me today. Bo, I think I'll let you speak three times a day. I apologize when it's tax heavy. I kind of flex a little bit more on it. We'll make sure we do an invest- investment podcast so you can use that CFA in the future. But you can write Bo, B-O at money-guy.com. We'll talk to you in about two weeks. I'm your host, Brian Preston. The Money Guy Podcast is hosted by Brian Preston. And Brian Preston is a partner with Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with securities laws and regulations. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Money Guy podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice. (laughs) 